this week, we're starting a new series on the book of Amos. Who's Amos? What's Amos? Well, Amos was a prophet that God sent to the kingdom of Israel about 2,700 years ago. The Israelites, unfortunately, were not holding up their side of the covenant. God is always faithful. He is, is always holding up his side. Uh, and they had agreed at the time of Moses, the Israelites had, had said, sign us up. We know what this in, in, involves, and we commit ourselves and our children to the covenant obligations. But here we are hundreds of years uh, farther in Israel's history, and the Israelites are failing miserably. They are not doing their side of the covenant. And, and as a result, God sends Amos to Israel to warn them that judgment is coming. The precise judgment that God had told the Israelites way back at the time of Moses, if you don't hold up your side of the covenant obligations, I'm going to take you out of the promised land that I'm going to give you. And that was sort of the, the big threat that always loomed over Israel. Uh, but they just had gotten to a place where they didn't think it was possible. And so God sends Amos to tell them, the exile is coming. But God always sends warning for a merciful purpose. And so there is, in Amos's words, a hope. Seek God and live. Even now, you can repent and turn, from, turn to the Lord and avoid this, this great judgment coming to you. And of course, that's uh, the reason the Bible has warnings for us, is to provoke repentance now so that we will turn and be healed. God doesn't want anyone to actually be judged. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. He wants life for us, not death. So why Amos? Why did we choose Amos? Uh, what, what does a word from the Lord for a people who lived 2,700 years ago have to say to us today? Well, the, the simple answer to that question is found in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. We read, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Uh, God did and said a lot of things in the past. And, and some of those things were written down and preserved for us in the Bible. And what Paul's pointing out to us is that there is no part of the Bible that is uh, unimportant. If you will take the time and the energy to study any portion of God's Word, even Leviticus, uh, you will be blessed. You will be encouraged and you will be filled with hope. And so that applies to Amos as it applies to any other part of the Bible. Now, Amos, I thought Amos would be a, a good book for us leading up to Easter uh, because it talks about uh, God's heart of holiness, his desire for his people to be righteous and just, and his, the fact that he sees sin and he punishes sin, and of course, 
we praise the Lord on Good Friday that, he, that Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon his own shoulders. By his stripes we are healed. And then on Easter we celebrate the fact that uh, the, the power of sin has been destroyed in the great resurrection. We're going to be preaching four sermons on Amos. Today we're talking about the fact that God sees and judges sin. Uh, every, every part of our life is lived before the Lord. And, he, and what we do matters to God. He is not the God of the, of the deists who think that God sort of just established the laws of nature and threw uh, the world into being and then sits back dispassionately and doesn't really care about what the little people on the, on the planet's surface do. The God of the Bible is a personal God who cares about our lives and it matters to him. How we relate to other people matters to him. How we conduct ourselves in, in, a, in private and in public, it all matters to him. He takes note. And someday we will stand before God and give an account to him for how we have lived our lives. And so knowing that, uh, what should we do? Well, we should run from sin, push it away from us, and flee to Jesus so that when that great day of judgment comes, uh, the wrath of God falls upon Christ and not upon us. Next week, we're going to be looking at the discipline of the Lord. God had disciplined Israel multiple times prior to Amos over many years, smaller disciplines, right? Trying to get their attention, but they were stiff-necked. They were hard of heart. They were stubborn, and, all, and, as, and they weren't listening as God ratcheted up the discipline, and so now the big one is coming. coming. And I can't help but think of Proverbs 29.1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And that's what's facing Israel. And so we want to talk about uh, the discipline of the Lord because Hebrews said God says God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines us in order to break us out of the, of the entanglement of sin that we find ourselves in. But we want to benefit from God's discipline. We want to learn early so it doesn't get too extreme in our lives, right? Week three, we're going to talk about the false piece of ritual. If you had visited Israel in Amos' day, you would have thought to yourself, these are very religious people. They keep the religious festivals. They eat kosher. They attended synagogue, or, or I should say uh, what they considered church at the time. Uh, they were, they tithe. These were religious people. And yet God looked below the religious activity to the heart, and he said, where's the justice? Where's the righteousness? In fact, God says, when, they, when you have a bunch of religious activity and it's not coupled with a transformed heart and a relationship with me, that's disgusting to me. I hate that. I don't want your religiosity. I want your transformed living. And so we're going to talk about the, the, the danger of being a religious person and, and not having a transformed heart and thinking, oh, I'm all, everything's good with me. No, it's not. And then final message will be about the hope. Because God had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. And even though he was going to take the Israelites into exile, he would preserve a remnant. And there's always hope for God's people. Uh, there's always a better future for us. And of course, that future comes to us through uh, God's Son, Jesus Christ.
Now we have chosen uh, for this series the symbol of, of a plumb line. Because in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, we read this. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I'll rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So God, God had, had uh, built Israel with straight walls, and of course this is metaphorical, but God had given uh, the law through Moses, and so he taught his people how to, uh, he taught his people how to live with justice and righteousness. And so God had used a plumb line, which you used to build walls, and they were straight. He set Israel on, on a good trajectory. Uh, but now he's coming back hundreds of years later, and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to take my plumb bob, and I'm going to put it up against the walls. And what, what do I see? I see a crooked people. A people who are, no, are not just, who are not righteous. Uh, they are, this is not the nation that I built. This is not the community that I built. They are not acting the way uh, I told them to act. And I'm no longer going to pass by these walls anymore. I'm going to knock them down. And I'm going to send the people into exile. With all that, by way of introduction, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Amos. Amos is in the Old Testament. It's a small little book. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, one of the what we call minor prophets, only because they're smaller. They're not minor. They are prophets with a word from the Lord. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So the people of God were divided at this time in history. There are 12 tribes of Israel. The 10 northern tribes called themselves the kingdom of Israel, and their king was Jeroboam, the son of Joash. The two southern tribes were the kingdom of Judah, and their king was Uzziah. So, unfortunately, we have a divided people of God. And Amos is from Tekoa, which is in the southern kingdom. And God calls him to go to the northern kingdom to proclaim the coming judgment. Amos was not a, a man of the cloth. He, he didn't go to the school of the prophets. He was a, a shepherd. And elsewhere, we learn that he was a uh, tender of sycamore trees. And, but the Lord called him to become a prophet and gave him a word that Israel needed to hear. So here he comes. Uh, if you're an Israelite, Amos shows up claiming to have a word from the Lord, and here is, is the first prophecy. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Carmel's a, 
a mountain up north in Israel. So God is, God is portrayed as a roaring lion. And his roar is intended to instill fear in his prey. So who's he roaring against? Who's he coming to attack? Verse 3. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And this is a repeated phrase. For three transgressions and for four. And the idea is that, you know, at three transgressions, the cup is full. And at four, it's overflowing. And God is not going to wait until the day of judgment in order to, to pour out his punishment. Uh, like he, he was not, in the days of Noah, he said, I'm done, I'm not waiting, and he destroyed the earth. Sodom and Gomorrah, fire breaks down, right? The Canaanites, when the fullness of the Canaanites' uh, wickedness came about, God takes the Canaanites out of the land. And here it is with Damascus. Uh, their wickedness has gotten so, so bad, God is going to punish them now in this life. So Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. Uh, it's a Gentile nation a little bit north of Israel. What have they done? Because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So Syria would periodically uh, raid down, down into Israel, and they would go through the town of Gilead. And so Gilead just kept getting invaded by the Syrians, and the people were just getting, it's like they were threshed. They just kept getting killed. And God's not, not okay with that. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael. He's the king. And a fire, that's an image, uh, image of uh, war. It shall devour the strongholds of Beth Hadad. I'll break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. Him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. And uh, that's what happened when the Assyrians came. The Assyrians wiped out uh, the Assyrians, wiped out the Syrians, and hauled uh, the remnant off into exile to Kerr, which is actually where those guys had originally come from. So God sends them back home. The Lord goes... Uh, verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I'll not revoke the punishment. And so Gaza, that's the capital of the Philistines. What have they done? Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. Uh, the Philistines attacked Judah and uh, captured a bunch of Hebrews, sold them into slavery up in Edom. Edomites were slave traders. And so God says, I'm going to send war upon them. In fact, the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. God said, I'm going to wipe this nation out. They will no, there will no longer be a Philistine nation, and that's, that's what happened. In uh, verse 9, he says he's going to discipline Tyre. What did, they, what did it do? Because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Uh, Tyre had a peace treaty with Israel. They broke that treaty. They attacked into Israel and uh, took a bunch of Israelites and sold them into slavery up in Edom. And so, a fire, so I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre. It shall devour her strongholds. Then it's Edom, God names. What did Edom do? Because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. 
Edomites are blood relatives of the Jews. Their uh, forefather is Esau, the half-brother of Abraham. And so they're relatives, but they hate the Jews, and it's a hatred that they pass on to their children from generation to generation. Right? The anger, his anger tore perpetually, kept his wrath forever. And so uh, the Edomites went in and, and killed their relatives. God is not okay with that. Then it goes to the Ammonites. What have they done? Verse 13, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. Uh, you, was not, you didn't want to live in Gilead at this time. They, are, they had a hard time. So the Ammonites come marching into Israel, thinking they can uh, take some of Israel's land, and they go through Gilead, and they perform war, uh, war atrocities, ripping open pregnant women. And so their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Then we go to Moab. What has Moab done? Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. And so in fighting, they went too far. Their cruelty was too great. They burned the bones of the king so that the king can have no honorable burial. It's like you got the guy down and then you're just squishing him. Now, at, up till now, if you're an Israelite, up till now, you love Amos. He's your favorite. Amos is an awesome prophet because what's he just done? All he's done is named uh, six Gentile nations. Uh, he, he is those nations that uh, live nearby and often come and bother you. The, the, our God is roaring and he's about to go punish them. And so you're an Israelite and you're going, go Amos, preach it, brother. We love this guy. He's the most popular prophet in Israel up until this point. But then... He doesn't stop. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I'll not revoke the punishment. Judah? Wait, they're, they're people of God. They're fellow Hebrews. What do you mean that God's going to punish them? What have they done? Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes... But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. Now, in the, what God is holding the Gentile nations accountable for is breaking the natural moral law, doing things that everybody on the planet, planet knows are wrong. But when you get to Judah, they're being, they're being judged because they have broken the covenant. God had give them, given them the law of Moses. They had agreed to obey it. But they've now rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his statutes. They have been failing to live up to their part of the covenant obligations. And instead, they've been following after lies. So you're an Israelite and you're hearing, whoa, not only are the six Gentile nations going to be judged, even Judah... Wow, that, and that's a little bit disturbing, but they are, you know, they are those southern Jews, you know. And we are a little, we're, there's a reason we broke off from those guys, right? Yeah, it's a little understandable. But now there have been seven judgments. The uh, seven is kind of the number of completion 
to, to the Jews. And so they probably figured that's it. Amos is done proclaiming judgment. Now let's hear about how happy he is with us. But Amos goes on. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I'll not revoke the punishment. And you can imagine all the eyes turned and the ears listening. What do you mean, Israel? What have we done? And up till now, by the way, he said three transgressions and four, but he only names one thing. It's only when we get to Israel that there are four transgressions named. The first one is this. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. The rich and the powerful are getting richer and more powerful on the, on the backs of the poor and the weak. There is injustice in the land. Those who can are, are taking away from those who can't. And, and it's just, it's, un, it's not righteous. It's not justice. Number two, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. There is gross sexual immorality in, in, the, in the nation that bears my name. These are, the whole, the whole world knows these are the followers of Yahweh. And look what you're doing. Not, this is not okay with me. Number three, verse eight, they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Now, the Mosaic law had uh, protections for the poor and the weak. For example, if you took a garment in pledge from a poor person, you had to give that garment back at the end of every single day so that they had something to sleep in. But they, they Israelites were just um, blowing right past these laws that God had put in place to protect the poor and the needy and the weak. And then finally, verse 12, But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Now, Nazarites were people in Israel who took uh, special vows in order to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. And uh, they were a blessing to Israel because they, they walked around as, as, a, as a model of what it looked like to be uh, fully committed to Jesus. Well, not Jesus at the time. Uh, they didn't know that, but they were fully committed to Christ. Nope, to God. Now, he is God. Okay, yes. They just didn't know that. So... That's what the Nazarites were doing, but you made the Nazarites drink wine. You, you're, you made the, the Nazarites break their vows. You forced them to compromise spiritually and morally. What? And you commanded the prophet, saying, you shall not prophesy. God gave the prophets words for his people to bless his people. But what are they doing? They're gagging the prophets, commanding them, you shall not prophesy. They did not want to hear from the Lord. They, they weren't really interested in a relationship or obedience. And so for these reasons, God says, enough, I am removing you from the land. Chapter 3, verse 11, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, 
As the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. And within 40 years, the Assyrians marched into the land, destroyed all the cities, killed the vast majority of people, and hauled off the remnant into exile. And yes, there was a remnant who were saved, but, but it was a barely. As if you pull the, uh, try to rescue the lamb out of the lion's mouth and all you pull back are two legs or a part of an ear. It's, they survive, but barely. So what's the point? I think the point's this. God sees and judges sin. The Bible's very clear that there is no sin that will go unpunished. Zero. Not a single bad thing that has ever been done on the planet by a person will go unpunished. And as a result, we, we need to make sure that we are uh, aware of that and ready for that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Sometimes God judges in this life, but for the vast majority of us, the judgment is coming at that great day of judgment when this world is over and Christ returns to judge those who are created in his image. Are we ready for that judgment? We're going to be brought back from the dead to stand before our maker to give an account for how we have lived the life he gave us. And you know what? He cares about what we did. Here's how it's put in Revelation chapter 20. The apostle John is uh, been, been given a vision of the future. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. So it doesn't matter if you were a king or you were a pauper. At that day of judgment, we're all the same. Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so you have a pile of books, and you have the book of life. And the pile of books, in the pile of books, are uh, the record of everything, everything we have all done. Which means God has taken notes. And what you have thought in your own mind... And uh, what you have desired in your heart, what you've spoken with your mouth, what you have done, it, it's been noticed, it has been recorded, and on Judgment Day, it is reviewed. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And that's going to happen to you if you're a Christian or not a Christian. I will have the book open that says what I have done, and so will you. 
And according to the Bible, some of what it says about me is sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so some of what the book is going to reveal is my sin. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. In other words, it's not just the people alive when Christ returns who are judged. Everyone who's ever lived comes back from the dead to stand before maker and give an account. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. What's the first death? Your physical death. The second death will be this uh, spiritual death cast into the lake of fire, otherwise referred to as hell. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is very important. You've got this pile of books that are, are, are recounting everything you've done, and you have the book of life. Here's what it doesn't say. And those who did more bad things than good things get thrown into the lake of fire. Those whose whose uh, deeds were especially bad, get tossed into the lake of fire. That's not what it says, does it? What, what determines whether or not you get thrown into the lake of fire? If, you're, if your name is not written in the book of life. That's the only thing that, that determines whether or not you go to heaven or to hell. Now, how does your name get written in the book of life? The Bible is very clear. You repent of your sins and you put your faith in God's Son, Jesus. To those who believed in Him, He gave the right to become children of God. When we put our faith in Christ, when we become Christians, our names get written in the book of life. And that's what decides whether or not we get thrown into hell, to the lake of fire. Well, well, what does God, what does God do with, you know, the Bible says that the, the penalty of sin is death and the, the wrath of God is stored up against the sin of man. My sin has offended God and, his, and, and my sin needs to be paid for, for there to be justice. It needs to be punished and the punishment is death. So do, do I get a freebie? No. That's what the cross is all about. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. The wrath of God for my sin and all other Christians was poured out upon Jesus Christ. By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus bore the punishment that I deserved and you deserved if you're a Christian and satisfied the wrath of God. Now, if you are not united to Christ by faith, you do not benefit from His death. His, his blood is not covering your sin. And so, when the books are open, the wrath of God falls upon whom? It falls upon you. And that's what we read in Romans chapter 5, or chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I don't think I have this slide but he says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath 
when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So, if you're not a Christian, the, I think the implication, the application today is this. Run to Jesus and get saved because you've sinned and God has warned that judgment is coming. And, and you, don't wanna, you don't want to be the one who, who has to bear the wrath of God. It will crush you. It will overwhelm you. Your end will be the lake of fire. But God has provided a way of escape through, his, through the death of his son, Jesus. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants your name written in the book of life. He wants you to escape the judgment. Jesus, Jesus willingly gave up his life for you. Take advantage of that. And so don't leave today without repenting of your sins putting your faith in Christ, and if you want to do that, I would, nothing I'd rather do than witness that. Now, Christian, how do, how do we respond? Well, first off, know that we bear the name of God. We're Christians. The world knows who we are. And, and God says, look, if you bear my name, I want you to be reflecting uh, living a life of justice and righteousness. I want you to reflect to your neighbors and to your coworkers and to your family and to your friend my, my values, my heart. Run from sin. Don't let sin characterize your life because that matters to me. And the other big application for us is uh, gratitude to Jesus. As we face the fact that apart from him, where would we be? Completely lost. Jesus loved us enough to willingly go to the cross. And, and that, that deserves gratitude, doesn't it? That deserves worship. And when we, when we remember that and, and uh, connect emotionally with that great truth, it animates our whole lives and it certainly animates our worship of him. So let's pray. Right now, if you're, not a, if you're not a Christian, then I stand here, I've, I've warned, and I hold out uh, God's offer of reconciliation in Jesus. Be reconciled to God. There aren't any magical words, God sees our hearts. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become children of God. Will you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? If so, tell him that. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. And Christian, have, have you been too cavalier about your high calling as one who bears the name of God in this world? Confess that, receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. And as we sing here this next song, may we just sing it with uh, a heart that is truly connected to the, uh, the freedom that we have in Jesus. May, may we praise him wholeheartedly. In Christ's name, amen.